Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Artificiell intelligens har fått ett ansikte. Roboten har tidigare varit placerad bakom galler i fabriksmiljöer. Men vi är på väg in i en tid och utveckling där robotar flyttar in i skolorna, på äldreboenden och slutligen även i våra hem. Jolanda Leite är biträdande professor vid Institutionen för robotik vid Kungliga Tekniska Högskolan i Stockholm. Hon utvecklar sociala robotar som möjliggör effektiva och engagerande långsiktiga interaktioner med människor. Det här är Sköna Nya Värld, en podcast om framtiden. Welcome to Yolanda later, right? Is that correct? That's correct. I was going to ask you, the first question is, uh, what is a robot? Okay, so um, there are many definitions, but a very general definition of a robot is a machine that has sensors to perceive the world, has some sort of computing uh, ability to reason about the world and and take actions on it, and also actuators that enable it to change the world or take effect in the world. So there's these three main components, sensing or perception, reasoning and action. That makes it a robot. (laughs) Okay. So if you talk about something that's like getting more popular like Amazon Echo or Google Home or those kind of devices that you can kind of talk to and then they reply in some sense and they execute maybe orders and so forth, are they a type of robot then or...? So um, they definitely can perceive the world, right? So they have speakers and they have language understanding components. They have some reasoning abilities, but they don't have uh, a way to change the world. So they are a sort of disembodied robot. So the most common term that people use for those devices, I guess it's more like an intelligent speaker or uh, a virtual assistant, Uh, other than a robot. Although um, you can think of a very close future where these devices will have also some sort of uh, body that also makes it easy for people to understand what they are saying. So uh, I just noticed that you had nod when I said this. If you speak to your Amazon Echo and 
echo is able to perform some head nod or acknowledge that it understood you in a very intuitive way for us humans, that would be a very uh, good thing. So you can think of these devices as a sort of like uh, evolving towards becoming more and more robot-like. All right. Yeah, I see. It's, it feels like it needs a part to be mechanic. It needs to be uh, some some moving parts for it to make up a robot. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I would say so. So yeah. this part of actuation, yes. Yeah. How far along are we in the development of robots right now? Like, uh, are they, would you say they're at an early stage? Are they getting very advanced? Or is it moving forward very quickly? So it's definitely moving forward quickly. For example, with autonomous cars, that you can consider them to be robots because, you know, they perceive the world, they reason, they act into the world, they drive autonomously. So there are areas where these uh, developments are happening really fast and a lot of it uh, driven by the advances in computing power and machine learning, artificial intelligence, and so on. But um, we are in... Uh, robotics and um, so robots are very good at doing repetitive things in these three uh, branches that I told you about perception reasoning and action so if you have a robot that is able to sort two types of objects to a box and do that all the time that would be a robot that you can it's possible to do this at the moment mm. what robots are not very good at yet is to adapt to new environments uh, so if you place this robot in a new um, environment where instead of sorting two things, it needs to sort of four things, four objects, mm. and these objects are fairly similar to each other, maybe the robot will not be able to generalize this. Or if you think about robots interacting with people, when we have robots in the laboratory environments, or if you have one robot interacting with one person at a time, we can maybe carry out an interaction. But once you place this robot in a very crowded environment where suddenly there's groups of people, there's people coming alone, there's children, there's adults, uh, robots are still not very good at adapting to these novel situations and understanding how to perceive the world, respond and act on this world. So this is where most of the research is at the moment. Uh, oh, and how what, how would you say that research is going right now? Then, like, how is it a long way in terms of years? When do you think uh, when do you think that uh, robots will be able to act upon with a bunch of people, you know, in a natural way? Well, um, in an open, free environment that. I, they are able to do everything and interact in all sorts of possible social interactions. We are really far away from having that. So uh, what we do is we try to isolate the problem, right? We start to trying to make something that works well in a specific environment. So if you want to work on a, a robot assistant for the elderly, you try to create robots that are able to interact with elderly people in a constrained nursing home, at home for example. Or, uh, you know, if you want robot tutors for kids, you start working on a very specific tutoring interaction with one child first and then you move to two, three. So you, you need to gradually evolve from these constrained environments to these open world, uh, unstructured environments where anything can happen and the robots need to quickly adjust and adapt to that. What does social robot mean? What is the definition of a social robot? 
So for me, a social robot is a special type of robot that is specifically designed and developed to interact with people and or around people. So these robots, uh, their perception, their reasoning and their actions need to take into account the social dynamics of people. So uh, they need to understand uncertainty in the world or they need to perceive if it's the right moment to interrupt someone doing a task uh, or when is the right moment to do so. Or they need to understand when people uh, are frustrated with the interaction and maybe they need to do something else. And they, basically they need to adjust and perceive people around them and also communicate in a way that is easily understood by people. So if you think of uh, robots now, for example, in factories, uh, where they're just doing pick-and-place tasks or the, a robot that is just navigating in some world... Um, it's hard for us to understand wh what that robot is doing, what are their intentions, right? But uh, if you have a social robot or a robot that is designed to interact with people, then you would want to include some expression or communication mechanisms that would allow easily people to understand what this robot is doing in this social world to kind of like to be a easier interface uh, with people. Could they understand if I feel sad, like in my tone of voice? Is that something? That's something uh, that uh, there's research on, on that, on uh, this area called affective computing, where the goal is to uh, create uh, algorithms that enable uh, robots and other systems, for example, call center agents, or even in the future, if you think of devices like this, intelligent speakers that you speak to it, right? Like Amazon Echo that yeah. you mentioned earlier. Uh, detect these social cues from people is very important because they would allow you to uh, respond in a much more appropriate way, right? If mm. you are uh, very stressed asking something to Google, maybe uh, uh, this Google Assistant will, uh, you will want to be sure that you're giving it the right response and not making the person even more and more frustrated, for example. So these right. social cues are very important to uh, create these interactions between humans and machines as natural and smooth as possible. And how would you say that research is going? You're, that's something you're working with right now, to some degree, right? Um, yes. So, um, again, it's uh, we can already detect uh, some uh, affective states, for example, from voice or from images, but they are context-dependent. So, for example, uh, one of the examples that I worked during my PhD was in this uh, robot that was able to play chess with children, and it was able to understand whether children were, uh, you know, having trouble during the game, or they were really happy and doing great, and so on. So, we, we didn't really... In this real-world environment, it was really hard to detect sad or happiness because it's also not the way people, um, they are not always displaying these prototypical emotions all the time, right? So it's much more subtle than that. Right. So we uh, break down this problem into a positive and negative valence. So if it's just positive or negative and not the specific emotion of negative, it can be uh, frustration, it can be sadness, it can be anger, they are all negative emotions, but it's really hard in real-world situations to have machines that clearly can distinguish all these different uh, specific emotions, but more like if we think about effective states, that is already uh, slightly possible again in constrained uh, environments. 
So when when creating social robots, uh, you make most of the robots are being built like either they're super cute, like a puppy, or slightly human-like, or you know they have some functionality. Why is that, and why why are they built the way that they are? Yeah, so uh, their embodiment usually um, it's very dependent on what they their purpose is intended to. So these robotic pets, uh, or, uh, you know, you mentioned the the animal-like robots, they are really developed in order to uh, create this attachment with the users, kind of like a toy, but uh, a more sophisticated toy. Mm. So there's, um, in fact, this might seem uh, a very tricky area to enter, but there are cases where, for example, in hospitals or nursing homes, that pets are not allowed for uh, natural reasons, like yeah. hygienic reasons, and so on. So there are uh, research uh, studies where these robotic pets can be used as sort of like pet therapy, mm. where pets, real pets, cannot enter. Um, then you also mentioned the human-like robots. Um, I believe there are uh, two main reasons for um, researchers and companies to build these robots to l- look human or to be human. Uh, to appear human. The first one is because we are used to interact with each other and we know uh, our, um, that's something that we don't have to adapt to. So if a robot smiles or if a robot performs a head nod or if it waves, we know what that means. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel in order to uh, create a new way of communicating, say, a new language to communicate with the robots, because if they are human-like, we kind of understand what they are uh, trying to tell us. The other reason is also, uh, once you start thinking of the future and a few years ahead, when these robots navigate in our world, the world is built for people, right? So doorknobs are placed at a certain height that for us is natural or uh, door, the door has a certain height or shelves are placed in a certain place. So the, there are several features that the robots will have to do that enable them to navigate in the world. So the fact that they have legs, they would easily climb stairs and so on. So I think there's these two main reasons why they are kind of biologically inspired uh, robots, so many out there. Robotmyror som samarbetar kan bli framtidens fabriksarbetare. Den visionen lanserar tyska Festo som utvecklat en robotmyra som inte bara följer myrornas anatomi utan även deras kollektiva intelligens. Liksom deras naturliga förebilder arbetar robotmyrorna tillsammans med tydliga regler. De kommunicerar med varandra och samordnar sina handlingar och rörelser bland varandra. Och när det gäller hårdvara är myrorna i stor utsträckning 3D-printade. En optisk sensor under myran, ungefär en sån som du har under din datormus, låter den navigera med infraröda markeringar på golvet. Och kamerorna kan också lokalisera baserat på landmärken. Myrorna kommunicerar mellan varandra för att samordna sina handlingar och rörelser. Och små grupper kan manipulera objekt som är mycket större än de själva. På ett abstrakt sätt ger det här komparativa beteendet intressanta tillvägagångssätt för morgondagens fabrik. Framtida produktionssystem kommer att grundas på intelligenta komponenter som anpassar sig flexibelt till olika produktionsscenarier och därmed tar upp uppgifter från högre kontrollnivå. 
Förutom myror har Festo även utvecklat robotkängurus, fjärilar, delfiner och geparder. Så kanske har vi ett helt nytt PK-djurvänligt robotzoo att besöka inom en någorlunda snar framtid. There's a term called uncanny valley, which is like when, well, not just robots, but when something, you know that it's not human, but it becomes very human-like. So it's almost like it's a bit freakish. Is that like, is that something people, people obviously want them to be cute or human-like, but not too human. And how do you balance that out? Yeah, so definitely there's the uncanny valley effect. Uh, And um, so again, um, it's really tricky to develop robots that are super human-like and maybe we don't always need it. So I think a good uh, rule of thumb would be when you need this human likeness, you build it and then you suffer from the effects, right? So there's this trade-off between uh, what we can... um, what we can build and what people will accept. Um, There's also um, the problem of expectations. So the more human-like a robot will appear, the more cognitive uh, capabilities people will expect it to be. So to give you an example, if there is a dinosaur-like robot out there, Mm. people don't know how dinosaurs look like, right? They are extinct from many, many years ago. So there's not really an expectation of how a robot dinosaur would look like or would behave. So if it does something really silly, maybe it's more acceptable by users. But if a robot is extremely human-like, then... Uh, you would expect it to behave as a human. And yeah, this is where the uncanny valley theory enters, right? So there's about this mismatch between what you expect and what you see that makes this sense of eerness. Um, But uh, yeah, there's researchers um, investigating that, for example, in Uppsala University uh, right now. Uh, So yeah, it's something that the communities uh, consider considering and uh, trying to uh, fight this effect and to better understand it because the first and Valley theories are uh, from the 70s I believe all right yeah I I saw in, before researching this I saw a video where uh, they did some they created a robot which was kind of human-like in terms of size and order and everything I think it was Mitsubishi or Hyundai or something like that and the human-sized version, when it did something wrong, people almost got upset upset with it, you know, because they assumed that it was gonna need that it was gonna do something a certain way. But then they created a childlike version of it, and then every time it made a mistake, it was rather cute, and people quite liked it, and they yeah. didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, again, it's this notion of expectations because you sometimes expect that a child might not always take the right. Uh, action, whereas an adult, it's really tricky if an adult should yeah. do this. There's also studies on uh, how people feel comfortable uh, about robots that show that the the most comfortable height is this childlike high, height, so that people don't feel so threatened, threatened uh, right. yeah. about them. So yeah, there's um, so human robot interaction. Uh, is the field that studies all these things of how people are comfortable around robots, how they perceive robots, and so on. And there's a lot of uh, research on how robots should look like and how what are the best features, mm. to say, so to speak, to have. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. For robots to have. How long do you think it will be before you own a social robot yourself at home that you use in like everyday appliances and so forth? Do you think it's going to happen the next 10, 15, 40, 50 years? Or? Well, it, it depends on what these robots uh, will do. So there are already a few companies that are mostly now coming from Kickstarter crowdfunding mm. campaigns that... Uh, are planning to have these social robot companions that are kind of like uh, an Amazon Echo, but with a body and a bit more advanced that interact with some sensors in the world. Uh, so that I believe it will happen fairly soon, in maybe the next five, ten years. But if you're thinking of a robot that is uh, behaves like... Uh, a maid or a butler that can unload your dishwasher and do your house cleaning chores and so on. I think we are um, quite far away from that to to happen uh, because um, as we were talking, there's all these problems of navigating and understanding all the different possibilities of the world. And there's a lot of problems in these three main thrusts, perception, reasoning and action manipulating the world that still need um, to be figured out before we have these robots that can do all these things around people. Mm. So you talked about uh, maybe helping the elderly with social robots. What are other uses, uh, usages, uh, fields that you can use them? So um, the elderly is a big one because of the demographics, the, the demographic trends uh, in the world, right? So there's much more uh, people uh, with an age that um, they need to assistance and there are not that many people who want to work in these jobs. So robots can really provide a way for people to live independently longer in their homes, for example, without having to um, uh, lose dignity or something. Uh, other aspects that social robots in particular, so uh, they can uh, be helpful in the future. One of them, uh, I believe it's education, for example, uh, because um, 
So right now, kids learn at different paces. It used to be that you go to school and it's where you learn, but now they can learn from all different. So uh, classrooms have different levels of Kids have different learning paces. And so uh, if teachers have these robot assistants that can, you know, take uh, a group of children and practice and practice certain uh, certain subject and then report back to the teacher so that the teacher has a good perspective of what it needs to 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 do or to emphasize in the classroom, uh, that would be something. Uh, or language learning, for example, if you have a robot at home that enables you to practice languages. Because it has been shown that the physical presence of a robot compared to just something displayed on a computer screen, for example, it's very good for retention of information for a, a lot of things in, in learning in particular. Another uh, one is collaborative manufacturing, for example. So right now, you robots infect are kind of in their own cage, right? They do this very repetitive task and the humans uh, work in a different part of the the job. But you, you would imagine in the near future uh, a lot of situations where it makes much more sense from productivity and so on for humans and robots to collaborate together. So, and because then robots will be around people, there's this social aspect. They will need to anticipate what humans uh, are planning to do, or they will need to and be able to understand instructions from human in a human-like way instead of you need a very specific interface that you need to train the person to know how to interact with the robot or to, how to instruct the robot. So there's um, these are some of the examples where uh, I believe in the future, but it's really hard to predict, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no. Uh, suddenly someone can come up with a very good uh, application for social robotics that um, self-driving, but that's not really social robots, but autonomous cars will yeah, be a big one also. Yeah. When you talk about uh, robots or anything, there's always the, or people are always skeptical of the future, or not only skeptical, they can be scared of it, you know, and some of the, like, uh, robots are going to overtake the world, or, you know, they have develop AI or do this, but it could also be, like, smaller stuff. I've seen some quite scary-looking robots being used for, like, military actions and stuff like that. So what's the downside of the future of robots, the way do you see Do you see any, like scary development or any worries or so um there were three things that you mentioned the first one being the military robots uh, that is definitely a concern um and uh i don't think i'm the right person to talk <laughs> about that or to uh there need to be rules and regulations and politics needs to uh be aware of, of this but uh, definitely there are downsides but you can think of uh, you you have a hammer you can use it to build something or to hit someone in the head right yeah. so there's always these two sides of everything mm -hmm. um, you can think of um, uh, for example the autonomous cars and all this issue with uh, well maybe there will be an autonomous car that will be involved in an accident and there will be some fatality but uh, there are studies uh, now starting to appear where uh, autonomous cars are actually a bit more reliable than people, and especially if all cars are autonomous, there will be much fewer accidents in roads because they are less likely to commit these mistakes that people do while they text and drive. Or uh, So th there's always the two side of, 
sides of yeah. this. Uh, definitely, there's a new branch of research, or not so new, but called robo-ethics, and that deals with all these ethical issues, right? Even just the fact that when an autonomous robot needs to make a decision that involves human lives, for example, so you are an autonomous car and you have passengers in your car and you're about to run into someone, if you decide to not run this person over, you would make it, make this car crash. So there will be always these very tricky situations. And then who's to blame, right? right. Is it the robot? Is it the company who developed? So there, yeah. there will be the need for a lot of new regulations and politics, but I'm not the right person to talk about that. Uh, the other issue about the ethics and attachment um, is also a, a very interesting one. But um, I don't think that's... Uh, a problem of robots in particular. So uh, people are already, you know, um, there's all these other devices like tablets, computers, social media. And I, I don't think that those, well, there's arguments that they are making people less social, um, but there could also be used in a good way to catch up with people or there's this robot that in motivates you to go and talk to your family more or to promote social interactions between uh, people in nursing homes, for example, where it's very common that you just are in your corner and you don't socially interact. But when they have this, even a pet-like robot, the, the robot is the center of attention, but it not only people focus on the robot, but it promotes social interaction between the, the groups. So there's always the two sides of uh, these problems, and I think that's the main... Uh, and with robots in particular, there's this notion from science fiction that robots are going to take over the world and uh, they will be really evil. And uh, I think that one is a really silly one. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, maybe it's because I know how robots work in a way. And I'm, But also maybe it's uh, my job to try to convince as much people as possible and to communicate uh, what robots can actually do and what can't do mm. so that people are not scared about all these things that they read and see in movies because it's we are really not going into that direction for sure. So when you work with robots now, uh, how much focus is it on the the mechanics of it all, the actual physical robot and building that and movement and everything, and how much focus is on the actual software, the AI and so forth? How how do you develop it and what's more important? So all parts are important. Uh, the way we divide research is um, not everyone does everything, of course. So we have these abstractions, right? So there are people working more on the perception side of things, on computer vision and developing algorithms that will enable these robots to perceive the world. There's people working on uh, the actuation side of things, right, that build actual robots and are focused on the mechanics and it being very accurate and uh, be able to... And, and then there's the more uh, computer part of it, like the AI and the reasoning. So there's different components. And um, so the social robotics is a special part of it because you need a little bit of everything, right? But the idea is we don't reinvent the wheel and we try to, of course, use from different areas uh, certain algorithms that we can apply and that make the task easier, but there's a stronger need for integration and to make all these components uh, work together. But there's different branches of research that are more focused on specific parts of uh, robotics or, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can, 
what what are the like the biggest robotics companies right now or are there, is it mainly research teams because we can imagine that if i don't know google decided to make like a proper robot they'd have pretty good software uh, already or maybe they're more declined on working on inclined to work on the ai part of it whereas uh, more i don't know apple or some i don't know whatever it would be but more hardware based company would think differently i don't know Yeah, so in fact, a lot of these companies that you mentioned, uh, there's rumors or some of them are true that they are in entering, for example, the autonomous uh, driving vehicles. Um, But uh, for social robotics, um, uh, there are uh, a few uh, companies. um, For example, there's a company in uh, Sweden for Hat Robotics that has one of the first social robots that is extremely robust, and it's being sold mostly right now to research institutions to uh, investigate and uh, advance research in this area. But uh, there are not, um, there's no big player yet. This is still a very recent area, and only recently we are able to have these. Uh, robots that are robust enough to be deployed in this real world and social environment. So uh, it's still a little bit in uh, development. A lot of the companies that that are starting to appear are mostly based on crowdfunding and uh, or spin-offs from research universities. Greetings, my friends. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. You just mentioned a Swedish company, but it feels like uh, every time I check up on robots online or something, there's always something happening in Asia, in like uh, South Korea, Japan, maybe China. Are they further ahead in terms of robots? That's true. Um, They are. um, So... There's a huge need in those countries because of the demographics. So they really uh, try to advance research in this area uh, because um, they have really demographic needs for for that. The Japan, for example, has an extremely aging population. Mm. Um, without generalizing, but um, the 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 Asian countries usually have a stronger focus on the on the robotics part of things. So you see very human-like robots, super advanced robots that can climb stairs or, you know, um, uh, I think Europe um, has mostly uh, the strongest part is more on the AI and our computation and social interaction part of things. So different parts of the world are focused on different problems. And you see that when you go to conferences and uh, everyone interacts together. But uh, I I would say uh, both uh, or... Asia, Europe, and the U.S. is where most of the research in this area is coming from. And um, there's investment also. And uh, the EU, for example, or Swedish uh, agencies, they understand the need for uh, this. The same in Japan and so on. Have you seen any technological breakthroughs or anything that within robotics lately that you've been really impressed by? Any research done or anything? So... It's hard to 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 say that oh suddenly there's this paper research comes um, step by step, but uh, clearly the recent advances on machine learning and uh, uh, neural networks and deep learning are uh, enabling certain things that 
until recently we were not able to uh, tackle so um, easily. Uh, but also, um, yeah, w so all these companies, for example, the self-driving cars, I think that's really impressive. So it's not research anymore, it's an engineering problem, uh, or there's still a lot of research, but they are really moving these robots into the real world, right? And they're really in roads and driving. So that would be one of the major breakthroughs. But you can, if you think of uh, speech technology also, for example, when you have Amazon Echo and you can just speak to it and will understand what you're saying, uh, that's also very good. And all these things will also be useful for robots, right? So we can use all this technology in order to build uh, more capable and more socially intelligent robots in the future. So all these different advances in different areas are enabling that we are really able to create these robust technologies that are capable of interacting with people in real world environments. So, um, yeah. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Du har lyssnat på Sköna Nya Värld, en podcast om framtiden. Har du själv frågor om framtiden eller förslag på ämnen som du tycker vi ska ta upp? Skriv gärna en rad på vår Facebook-sida för Sköna Nya Värld. Podcasten är producerad av The Motor. Jag heter Annika Gritti. Musiken är gjord av Viktor Eidhagen. Och producenterna är Andreas Eidhagen och Annika Gritti. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.